Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. Hey there, Scott, how's it going? I'm doing well. So we're going to have to listen to my sick voice today, but just back from Burma. So I've stayed down there a little bit longer than you guys. I stayed until Saturday, spent a little bit of time with uh, my father and then came back, went from the airport to U-Haul to start a move. So I'm sore in places that I didn't know could be sore. I During COVID, I built a gym downstairs and, and pretty elaborate gym, which I th- always thought was great, right? Just walk downstairs and work out except for when you have to move it, right? So I, I moved a couple thousand pounds just in, in my weights before I got to the rest of the heavy stuff. A uh, little off on the voice, but really excited just about the time we had together at Burma. Clearly the most time that we've had, just had fun and laughed and talked a lot of business. And then I got to meet a lot of people that I've been looking forward to meeting. Maddie Rifkin was just a huge one and so many more. I don't want to leave anyone out. The Can Monkey guys and seeing what they're working on just exciting. So Verma for me was real good at putting some faces, the names and and shaking hands and giving hugs. All right on the voice is weak, but the body is strong. I think is the story (laughs) for Scott today, but um, we'll try to, we'll we'll have to go back to you, Scott, as we go along here, but we'll try not to strain the voice too much. Adam, how are you doing? How was VRMA for you and uh, the time that we had together as well? It was great. Obviously happy to be back here. It's Halloween. We're, we'll be sending the kids out today and hopefully it's not going to be raining. But Verma was great for all the same reasons that, that Scott mentioned, faces to name, shaking hands, seeing people. But ultimately spending some time with Conrad and, and his team, we really started to talk about what the plans are for us as going forward and, and really doubling down on the relationship that we have with Conrad on the marketing side as, as well as with the, the podcast here. But I, I think a couple of takeaways that I've got as I start to think through what this episode's about and then as I reflect on Verma. So today we're going to cover Verma, what our thoughts are on it, a quick recap as we come out of Verma and, and try to reposition ourselves to close out the year, but ultimately plan plan for 24, which is coming. And I'd be remiss if I, I didn't mention some sports along the same lines. And I, I have to say that Verma, as, as great it was to be there, was an absolute disappointment for one, one main reason. And Scott and Conrad got to experience it with me. Uh, so the, the middle school soccer team went down in a blaze of glory. Four years of undefeated went down before uh, the championship game. We lost in the semifinals to a team that we had beaten a couple times. My son, uh, I've labeled as the Curitak killer. That was the, the team that we had played. He beat them with the final goal the last two games that we beat them. Unfortunately, the games that they have performed not up to par this year were the games that I missed. So... Scott and Conrad had to watch as I, I exited the dinner table multiple times to go watch the live game on FaceTime. My wife was generous to, to put up the phone and let me watch it. So it was painful to watch them lose in, in PKs, unfortunately. I think the takeaway that I'll swing back into the industry here is that as I looked at the, the game on FaceTime and then heard some stories about what had gone on, really what I came to the conclusion of is that we were outcoached. And hopefully the middle school coach isn't listening to this to hear that. But I reflect on it and I think that us as business owners are in a a really interesting position. And I say that because being a new coach, it's interesting to build a team, watch a team and try to get them up to whatever that next level is. And I think that as business owners, that's what we do every day. We come in and we try to get the team behind us. So I'm a believer that this middle school team was the best team that we had. But at the same time, there was an opportunity for this other coach to step in and, and 
outcoach what we believed was the better team. And that's what happened. They pulled everybody back in defense. They played really good defense. They had three guys on my son throughout the game. They clearly went in and said, look, this kid's not going to beat us. They shut us down and they, they brought it to PKs. And then there were a couple bad bounces and then we didn't end up winning. So I think that the, the lesson for me there is one, the best team doesn't always win, which is a hard lesson. There's also a thin line between winning and losing. Again, a very hard lesson. So great that the kids got to see that. But to think about it from a business perspective, I think that there are a lot of great ideas. There are a lot of great business plans, but ideas and execution are two totally different things. And you could have the best team with all the money and the greatest idea, but if you can't figure out how to execute when you're on that field, or even worse, you allow your competitor to figure out what your weakness is and then exploit that weakness on the field, you can get beat any day of the week, as they say, any given Sunday. And that's what we saw, obviously, with middle school. But I think that's what we're starting to see in the vacation rental space as well. As I reflect back on my time in Firma, I start to think about the people that have ideas versus the people that execute those ideas. And I'm seeing that there's a very strong difference between those two, I guess, models, people, whatever we want to think. I think that the leaders in this industry are going to be the executors. And it's not always easy to figure out who they are. Sometimes they're hidden behind the people that have those ideas. So that's really what my focus is now. Execution, finding the right partners that can execute, finding the right people that that have those great plans, but can also execute. That That's where my focus is right now. Yeah, I hate to say the comparison, probably the most painful of my life, Adam, but that's very 07 Patriots feeling, isn't it? 16 and 0 and trying to get all the way to the finish line. And then somehow the, the helmet catch, we won't curse on the show, but the helmet catch just, <laughs> I sometimes have nightmares about it. Wake up in cold sweats, not a good time for me. But back to your point, well, the sports thing, tying it into business, because I feel the same way. Obviously, I'm a big sports fan. And one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to on the sports side is called GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. And he's had different co-hosts through the years, but he's the main talking head in that show. And what he says with football is that there's three problems that can occur. It's coaching, talent or scheme. So you could actually have the right coaching, the right leader, and you've got bad players. Like perhaps that's the Patriots this year. We could debate it, whatever. Not the time or the venue to do it, but I've seen that before. I've actually seen great leaders inside of companies. And I'm like, ah, like you're, there's people on your team that are not doing the right thing. And it's making you look bad. And sometimes you have to let people know that too, in some scenarios, right? It's, if this person was doing a better job, your whole operation would be smoother. And that's something Brooke and I've been talking about on her show too, firing people when they're a bad fit. And some people hang on to these people and they don't want to let them go. And then when they do, they're like, ah, I should have done that a long time ago. That could be good coaching, bad talent in some layer, right? Then scheme to your to the point there, scheme is obviously relevant more to the football conversation. But in the business world, that's like your strategy in my mind. Like you could actually have the right team. You can have the right people working on, but sometimes it's just a bad idea. I think that's what the equivalent might be in the business world. So if you say, hey, we're going to become this super high-touch concierge vacation rental business, but your guest doesn't want that. Like you may have the right people working on it, but it doesn't work well. So those are the categories that I think about them. You know, coaching, like business leadership, talent, like the talent of your team and the scheme. What's the strategy that you're actually working on? Those three can, if they're not perfectly aligned or at least aligned mostly in the right direction, you can get sideways pretty quickly in my experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I would suggest that they probably all ebb and flow, right? Even leaders have good and bad days, schemes change, teammates come and go. So I, I think that it ebbs and flows. And our job as leaders, is to fight for whatever we believe in, fight for whatever we think is, is going to be the right path. And I think that if things are going well, we really need to double down that fight and make sure that we hold on to whatever is going well for us at that moment. If things aren't going well, then I, I think that as the leaders, we need to figure out what that right path is. And then again, double down on that path and move as quickly as we can. So going back to that scheme, now, as you have that scheme, hopefully you're the right leader and then you've got to get the right partners and people on the team. That's not easy as well. 
Yeah. And it takes all three, Scott, doesn't it? It's like we're saying earlier, we were joking before I record about some future episodes that we're going to record. No teasers right now or no uh, giveaways right now. But we talked about the idea that perhaps a, a cleaner would be part of your workflow. And that's operationally something that you might have to tangentially be involved in. But if the cleaner doesn't show up or does a bad job, that's great to have everything written down on paper. But sometimes it's just people don't do what they should be doing, right? Yeah, that's it. And we talked about this when we were together, right? This is hard, right? It feels like that may have faded here recently because again, it, it wasn't hard, but it's almost like some of the idea generators want to pretend that it's not hard. And I've been immersed in this book and I actually am going back through it again, necessary endings. And, and I think we may be at this point in for a lot of stuff. I put it to work already. And just knowing the time when you're working on something, that's just not it, or it's not the time. And listen, it may not be a bad idea, but how are you implementing it in some of those things? But I'm like Adam, I, I look around and there's so many good ideas. But even when you talk to some of them, it's so hard to get out, but how, right? Or, but what's the next step? Or And, and they've got a good following and, and, and for good reason, right? Because they, they are idea generators. But I think we've got to really look as an industry or certainly what we're doing ourselves to say, we're all in for ideas, right? And, and Adam is a huge right? a philosopher, always is coming up with ideas. But again, you got to look at it and go, let's not fall down the same trap of idea concept, right? Because at the end of the day, the operator is going to win, right? And I think in our space, the operator wins every day. Now, that's easy for me to say as an operator, but listen, if you look around and think about the people who are really propped up, who we all want to aspire to, think about Robin out in Colorado. Think about Tom in Tennessee, right? You, you don't hear ideas coming from them. You hear about operator coming from them, right? The way that they drive that business, operator, right? Think about Brandy down in South Florida, right? Their ideas, but again, you listen to her, operator. Think about Maddie with Mount. Ideas, but operator, right? Continues to put it on. And in her recent launch, right, they pulled back, saw that they weren't getting the traction they wanted, rebranded, which I thought the rebrand was really done. And then I, you know, she had a post today or yesterday and really talked about in the last week since the launch, we've done more than what we did any previous time, right? In years, so I just think that it's time to double down and look and make sure that either the the person you're surrounding yourself with is an operator or has one right next to them that's going to operate or look and say, okay, you do the ideas, I do the operation. Mm -hmm. The the one dynamic, unfortunately, Scott, that I've seen in my own work and just different companies that I've been involved with in my career is that sometimes, though, they bring that person next to them, but they don't listen to them. That can be a little yes. frustrating when you have the idea person who is like a bull in a China shop, so to speak, and they're pushing these things through and the operator is like, hey, here's we need to get the right staffing here. We need to get the right people in place. It was the conversation we had this morning, actually, off, off camera, right, or off recording. It was like, yes, but I need to line up a few things in order for that to be a reality. And that's we're all in alignment there, which is excellent, obviously. But yeah, like uh, that's the unfortunate apart. And I think back to your point, Adam, that's what a lot of people maybe have been the last few years, because to be fair, demand was plentiful. So you could almost make a few mistakes here and there operationally. And sure, you might suffer a negative review here and there on the guest side, or a few things might go sideways when people are like, hey, I'm just happy to have somewhere to stay. I'm just happy to have a bed to sleep in. I'm just happy that I can rent this house. And they're a little more forgiving when they can't find something. Now, fast forward to today, and it's, ah, like, 
this isn't the, for what I paid, I expected more. For what I paid, I expected different. I expected a better product or something. And that's when we can get in a tough spot is, yeah, when all the money is flowing in and you can just take your cup and put it in the river and grab what you need, that's great. But now it's like, the money's not coming every, the bookings aren't coming at the same pace. Like you've got to be a better operator to survive. And Adam, I know you're the philosopher, but that's still, I imagine your frame on all this. Oh yeah, for sure. I think at the end of the day, we're all operators, or at least we need to understand what operations is. We need to understand what the people on the ground, if we're asking them to do something, hopefully we've walked in their shoes. I like to think that I've tried to walk in most shoes before I ask them to do it. But if we haven't, we need to at least understand what their life is as an operator so that we're not asking them to do things that don't make sense. And I think that happens all the time. But I love the way that our discussions evolve because I wasn't really thinking through this prior to this, but as we start talking through this, I think that what we we're we're just discussing cycles more or less, right? And I think we went through an idea cycle. We went through uh, a period of time where it made sense to push a lot of ideas for all the reasons that we've talked about. Money was easy, reservations were easy, whatever it is, there was a time where it made sense to push ideas because sometimes during that time, you get a good idea and you move it really quickly and all of a sudden a new idea explodes because it's the right time for a new idea to come. The cycle was right, the money was right, the attention was right, it made sense. I think we've moved away from that, right? And I think that if you think through the VC money that came into the industry, I think all of the VC money came in when that idea phase, that idea cycle was starting to pick up. And they grabbed onto that and they said, hey, here's a great idea. Let's put a lot of money behind it and let's see where we can take it. Now, the, the challenge with that is that you also have to operate during those idea times. And you can't just start pulling all of the funding that you brought into that to try to uh, take away the people who can execute on, on those ideas, which is, I think, what happened. I think that what happened is money came into the industry and they started to take away the development. They started to take away the, the support side. They paid off the guys at the top who or the people at the top who were the people who generated the ideas but also understood the operations. And now what we're entering into, moving out of that idea phase, we're moving into this execution phase, this operations phase, where it doesn't matter what your idea is there is not more money coming. We need to figure out how to generate revenue. So we went from a place of, hey, there's money uh, is easy to find. Let's go create all the ideas that you can to a place where, hey, no more ideas. Now it's time to execute. And I think that's a very hard transition from idea into execution. And the reason I say that, and this circles us back to Verma, is as you walk around the, the trade show floor, I think we're going to see a lot of those vendors that are stuck in that transition. They had a lot of great ideas, but they missed that window from idea into execution, or maybe they're executing on a smaller scale and they haven't figured out how do I actually get this to scale. And they're depending on that next influx of funds or that next influx of the right leader. And I don't know that's coming because I think that we've moved from idea into execution and the people who may have come in to give that leadership or give that funding, I don't think that's where their focus is. I don't think they're funding new ideas right now. I think they're funding businesses that can generate revenue. And if you're sitting in that transition and you're thinking, hey, this idea is great, but I can't scale, that's not generating revenue and it's not generating the revenue at the scale that anyone wants to invest in. And I think that's a hard spot to be. 
Yeah, I will pretend to be an expert on like the fundraising side of things. I maybe have like an eighth grade understanding of it, to be honest with you. But it, it is notable that some of the people that have taken a lot of funding, like you, you can't necessarily look at it and say, oh, it's 100% success rate. Like the money automatically brought the success. But I've actually been on the conversation with a client of, of ours that we worked with for some time who got funding, but a very low amount compared to the biggest in the space, at least in the PMS side. And they looked at it and go, man, like they can outspend us, they can outmarket us, they can out advertise us, all these things. And I'm like, maybe, but can they build a better product than you? I guess that's what it comes down to. And it's so funny because we had all these clients that were there, probably almost a dozen clients that were there that I got to speak to. And very few of them, to your point, Adam, were actually shopping for new things. Like they weren't necessarily, ah, got to have that new PMS. That's going to solve all my problems. Or, oh, got to have this, got to have that. It was almost more at the edges, at the margins. Hey, we're considering adding a guidebook tool. We're considering the cleaning, some different cleaning software, some different solutions there. Maybe we'll switch lock systems. Maybe not. Like they weren't even that adamant about it. It was more about, there was some efficiency conversations that we had. There was more of a, how do I stand out from the crowd conversations? Like I'm good? How do I be the best? That was like more the tone that I saw. But I don't know your frame on that, Scott, if it's like the software is great, but it doesn't save you from like bad operations at all, does it? No, no, and it, it can make it worse, right? If you over-engineer it, and I think that's what we're seeing, right? Is add this to get you out of this hole, add this next software, add this. And Conrad, even in your session, and I, and I think, and right, this is easy to say because it's the three of us. My experience was, Conrad, you delivered probably the best session that I saw. But if you really play it back is you didn't say, hey, all of these tools will fix everything. You offered tools. But what you really said is take this all the way back to the lowest level and, and work forward. And I think that's the missing component, right? I think this moment we're in, and listen, it's a cycle like Adam said, but I think the moment is shore up what you have, right? And, and I don't think that's through addition. I think we're in a moment of shore up through subtraction. And, and throw up shit, show, really shore up through trying to figure this out and optimizing, right? And really looking and saying, okay, here's what I have. I added some idea stuff that I thought was going to be great. And again, necessary ending, like it's not panning out how I thought it needed to, or I thought it would. So now move it forward and, and probably cut a few strings. But I, I think that's the missing component, right? Is so many ideas. And, and if you look at it and go, is the end near? No, but there's a moment to brace ourselves for whatever this is, right? Election season's going to be nuts, crazy. I don't care what side you're on. It's going to be crazy. And what we all know is as that intensity increases, we've got a hard economy now anyway, people are going to hold back on cash a little bit. And, and I think there's a hidden there for us. So from my perspective, shore up, right? Stop adding Stop following the next idea until you're sure that your stuff is really ready. Look, and, and this is anecdotal, right? Because it's just the three of us. And Conrad talked to a handful of people. Scott and I talked to a handful of people. But I get the same sense as you, Conrad. And I get the, to Scott's point. I think this is a time of shoring up. I think it's a time of looking at your partners and figuring out which ones work and, and which ones don't work. Or which ones do you want to double down on to really make that effective? But I, I, it's an interesting time to think that companies aren't making these significant additions. Or to put it another way that we can all relate to, there isn't a lot of transition from PMS to PMS because that's the norm in this industry. If you went to any VRM, VRMA prior to this one, I bet you we would come out saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe how many managers are switching PMS. That's not my sense. And there's a couple of reasons I think behind that, right? Again, anecdotal, I'm not looking at data, but I think that the reason that people aren't moving PMS 
And this was discussed there. And I got to give kudos to, to Luca from Journey for really having some real discussions at the show and trying to push this. I don't get the sense that many people were listening or wanted to engage in those real discussions. But I think there's a couple things behind people. And I'll use, again, PMS as, as the main focus, but I think you could extrapolate this to other vendors, other software, other products. I think that the reason people aren't moving from a PMS to PMS right now is one, for the reasons we just said, trying to shore up what they've got and trying to make the most of what they have. But I think the bigger issue, and this is one that I think will hit revenue, will hit sales, but I think ultimately will hit the future of this industry. I think managers recognize that the software is broken. I think that they recognize that uh, there isn't great innovation. And we go back to the VC side of things and how they've stifled innovation when they bring money in. And you could count off many a company that the VC has come in and just stifled what their growth was and removed the culture and, and the, the heart that was behind that company. But I think that's part of it. I think they've stifled the innovations. But I also think that the industry recognizes if I move to that next one, I'm just trading one set of headaches for another set of headaches. So why do I want to make that transition? And that does not bode well for an industry, but it definitely does not bode well for those individual companies because every one of these software vendors, everyone in that vendor floor, it has a business model that is showing an upward tick in sales. That's how they get money. That's how they demonstrate that they can support the staff they have and the marketing budgets that they have. So when those numbers don't keep scaling the way that they expect that they can scale, that's when we start to see things breaking, right? And we've talked about this a little bit. I was chatting a little bit about this on LinkedIn. I shared a, an article recently about what I think is coming together as a macro environment within this industry. And people were, were commenting back for, for someone that's so glasses half full, it's very pessimist. And I, I just, my response is pragmatism or, or realism isn't the same as pessimism. I think this real discussions are important to have because we're going to get surprised by this. But I, I think that the idea that uh, you can have the money flow into this industry and just continue to scale and continue to grow is, is not reality. I don't think that the companies that are, are waiting for that next investment or expecting that the sales they had this year will continue uh, next year, I, I think that it's going to be difficult. And the way that we start to see this is you start to see layoffs and not everybody's going to be laid off public because we're not all publicly traded companies. But you start to see some of these companies as you get to the back half of this year or the last quarter starting to lay people off because their numbers don't make sense for what they planned at the beginning of the year. And it's an unfortunate scenario because all they're trying to do is, is play with the Excel decks to, to make the numbers work. But I think we all have to be aware when we see cuts in this industry, as we'll start to see over the next few weeks, a few months, you're going to start to see that they're in development and they're in support. Those are not the areas as an industry that we want to see them in. Unfortunately, that's what I keep saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's hard for me to you know square in my head as someone that always tries to figure out, like you said, Adam, too, like the good in where we can go and where we can figure things out. But ultimately, when the people we joked about the spreadsheet nerds on a previous recording that we did, I think when they sit in a room somewhere, it's like, what's well, easy? Three support agents versus five, whatever. It's fine. It's fine until the tickets stack up and customers are pissed and they leave you and go to somewhere else. So it's in the short term, that looks like the right decision always, right? These sort of cost saving, cost cutting measures in the short term, it's always good. But long term, I feel like you see the pain of it, but it takes a while for that to like cycle its way all the way through, right? Like people don't leave right away when their ticket get doesn't respond to. They're just like, that's weird. And then they get to the next thing and same on the guest services side of things, right? Tying it back to the vacational space. 
if you go and compromise quality on cleaner or yeah, this cleaner was charging me 250. I found one that does it for 175. Sounds great in theory, right? Wow, we just put another few bucks in our pocket. We're not going to change the price on our website or the OTAs. We're still going to take that 250 fee. And then we're the cleaners doing it for 175. Great, great. And so it's not great. And then the reviews start trending down and then you lose super host on Airbnb or you have uh, the repeat guest doesn't come. We at least do a good job. And then it went the wrong way. Like it's, it's got the way I envision it. It's like you're bike riding, right? It's if you don't pedal, like it goes for a little while, doesn't it? I don't know all the mechanics of it, but eventually mm-hmm. you stop going. You've got to keep pedaling, right? In order for things to keep going the way they should. Yeah. And, and it's consistency and working on, on the right stuff. So it is funny talking about the bikes. And I think we've all talked about this. I've got my bike way over analyzed. So I've, my bike is connected to my pedals. It knows how much pressure I'm putting on both pedals. And Conrad, I'll go back to where we were just talking and it's fundamentals. My my head unit, my Garmin will actually notify me if I'm not doing something right and it'll allow me to correct. And every time I'm faster if I just focus on the fundamentals. If I go out and, and Conrad, the, the golf analogy, right? Right. Who hits the ball further? Me going up there and swinging like I'm trying to hit a home run or you with a nice fluid swing, right? <laughs> the number of times when I was golfing, they're like, stop trying to kill the ball just hit it just finesse but that it some of that stuff's counterintuitive yeah and into the golf pit not to go too deep on that because we could spend 40 minutes on it What, what sometimes people don't see i played at that tournament and i was playing with andy from touch day. And he was, I was joking with him a little bit because I hit some 50, 60 by, I'm sorry, Andy, if you're listening, it's all love and respect. But what he didn't see was the 10,000 balls that I hit from, oh, I don't know, age 12 to age 16. He didn't see the 45 tournaments that I competed in back on junior golf. And he didn't see all that. So then he sees it now and he goes, man, like you can actually move it pretty far. And I'm like working at it. Not as far as some guys are. Some guys are crazy deep. There's an equivalent there, Adam, as we do. We love to do our sports analogies here. Who watches when Steph Curry is in the empty gym by himself, putting up three after three? No one's watching a lot of time. And that's the same thing in business like a lot of time you can get away with the subpar approach in many respects like the guest maybe doesn't always have the top expectations you get away with it here and there and you fool yourself into thinking like yeah i got this figured out especially with the high demand that we were talking about a few minutes ago but then there's that moment when all the pressure's on when you have to do it the right way and that guest is going to be really demanding and that's when or you it's that july 4th weekend or it's the memorial day weekend or it's labor day weekend that's when you're tested right is on those moments not when it's nice and easy and oh it's 30 percent occupancy this week like we're not that stressed out right it's yeah, no question. We're, we are lulled to sleep in every aspect of our life constantly. And, and I'm huge on practice. And we've talked about this from a sports perspective. And going back to that middle school game I was just talking about, it's funny, uh, in basketball, at the end of almost every basketball practice, you shoot foul shots. It's just understood. You got to be good at foul shots. So you go shoot foul shots. In soccer, for whatever reason, we don't shoot penalty kicks. We just It's not often that you get up and, and shoot them for whatever reason. So coming out of that game, the one takeaway that I took, because it came down to penalty kicks and they missed a few of them, they hit three out of eight. Happy to say that my son hit his. But I took it as a takeaway for me and my team on the club side to at the end of every practice, I take 10 minutes to hit penalty kicks from now on for that reason, because when the pressure is on, you're going to choke if you have not prepared for it. That's the reality of it. And it's not choking in that case because you weren't prepared. You just did not do the fundamentals to be prepared for the situation that you were about to put yourself in. So as business owners, as managers, as an industry, I think we're getting lulled to sleep in, on a lot of different levels. In fact, the article that I wrote a few weeks ago about the macro environment here was just that we're sleepwalking off a cliff. I, th- I think that there are so many different variables that are coming together. And I think as an industry, we've lulled ourselves to sleep and to pull it back to Verma. And to your point, Conrad, that it takes time for things to work through a system. It takes 
time for people to show their disinterest in an environment or a process that is out of touch with whatever the reality of the time is. And part of me thinks that Verma's on that cusp, right? I, I go to that show and I did not come away thinking that it was a great show. Now I listen to the, the people on LinkedIn. I hear a lot of people saying how great it was. In, in the article that I've mentioned, I, I talk about LinkedIn a little bit and I don't know what to think about LinkedIn these days, right? Because it, it feels like it's a little bit of an echo chamber of people saying how great things are and not really talking real. So I can't tell if the industry as a whole actually thinks that Verma was a good, a good conference. Personally, I come away from it and I don't think it was great. I feel like they're a little bit out of touch of where things should go from a conference perspective. I think there were a lot of gaps. I think the rooms were way too small. Conrad's was spilling out into the next room, but he, it wasn't just his. It was a lot of them. I think that there were... Uh, a lack of educational sessions and the educational sessions that were there seemed like it was just people up on a stage sharing their opinions. And it's it's hard for me to understand why I want to uh, listen to their opinions, especially when it seems like it's this sort of LinkedIn self-congratulation. Hey, the industry is doing great. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. I think we're lacking that realism. Now, part of me also says that Verma listened in the past and, and recognized that vendors were not happy in the past. And it seemed like the vendors coming out of this last one were pretty pleased because it seemed like they opened up the vendor floor and there was a lot more time on there. So from a vendor perspective, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. But from an overall perspective, I don't get the sense that Verma is ever going to get to a place where we have these real discussions. And I think that's what we're missing right now is these real discussions. The fundamentals are fundamental for a reason. They're the one, they're, those are the pieces that we should be executing on and talking about and refining and simplifying. That's where the discussion should be. And as Scott mentioned, Conrad, I agree, yours was the best discussion that we saw there. But the reason that it was so good is because it was actionable. The other thing that surprised me about it was you could have given that same presentation in 2008 and it would almost be identical. So what that tells me is the industry, at least from a marketing perspective, but I, I think in a lot of regards, has not grown up from 2008. We've not evolved. We've not done the things that we know need to be done. To Scott's point, fundamentals, we as an industry, as managers, are not executing on the fundamentals. And it's going to take time for that to work through the system. But I think we're working through the system right now. Yeah, I, I guess the way I look at it is I've referenced this graphic before that I think Amy Hynode put together a while ago. And it was in one of the old print magazines um, that she had sent out. And it was like the 70 areas. And I think we've referenced this before. Right? You got to know accounting. You've got to know property value. You've got to know real estate. You've got to know regulations and so on. Marketing is a whole arm of that. And there's a lot of things there, obviously. And I do wonder if people sometimes use that to your point, Adam, as like a shield. But this business is hard. So therefore, I outsource my XYZ to ABC company, right? So I don't know the owner acquisition piece that well, I'm an outsource it. I don't know marketing that well, I'm an outsource it. And I'm a benefit of that, right? So I'm speaking my own book here a little bit. But I, I wonder if the problem is that by doing that, you then you give away a lot of your control or you give away a lot of your mental like approach of how you're going to take the problem in and fix it. And you just give it away to someone else. And I do wonder, and this is something someone said to me a while ago, is the modern vacation rental company, one person in a room with 50 vendors, we've got this cleaning guy, this tech guy, this guidebook guy, this or girl, whatever, it doesn't matter, this platform, et cetera. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing. That is on the surface, that doesn't feel like a good thing, but having more control in house or like a lot of clients, Adam, to your point there about the fundamentals, it's almost like they don't have a point of view. It's like they want to make 
money. Obviously, we're all here to make money, but it's they don't have a point of view on what they're after or like what their who their ideal owner is, who their ideal guest is. And we've talked about that at length on previous episodes with, with your approach that you guys are taking. But I don't know what the answer is there. It's is what's missing, Adam, like a consulting or like a strategy arm to the business? Like someone needs to sit down and think about the problem first before they act or is it just that the better operators are going to win out over time? I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm very hesitant to say that this industry needs a consultant layer on top of it that could come in and tell everybody what to do. We see people who who try to do that. Now, I'm not a huge fan of thinking that this needs an extra layer to guide people. I think that we as business leaders need to figure out how to understand those fundamentals. And to go back to, to Verma, I think that would be the opportunity at Verma is to talk about those fundamentals and not just share opinions, but actually get up there and say, hey, look, these are the fundamentals. Let's all talk about what our opinion is about how to execute on a fundamental. But right. let's understand that these are the fundamentals and, and start to prescribe some of that back to the industry. I don't think there's anybody who's willing to stand up and say, these are the fundamentals. This is how you need to execute them. I guess not anybody not willing. We're willing. But I don't think those voices are being heard right now for a variety of reasons. And part of it, I think, is the setup of the conferences. But I, I think part of it is a lack of willingness to listen. I, I think that as you go through these easy periods, you start to get focused on whatever it is you think is the right thing to execute and you stop listening to those outside sources. And when times get difficult, then you're almost even more prone not to listen to those outside sources because you say, hey, this worked. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But because you're not listening to those outside sources, you don't understand what might be coming around the corner. And I, I think that we're, we have a, a lot of people that have not had a very lengthy experience in this industry that don't know what's coming around the next corner. And the next corner could be pretty challenging. Yeah. Do you think part of, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Connor, the one thing I wanted to point out is, and Adam, you and I have had this conversation. I actually, I think the three of us have, we have a differing opinion problem, right? And the fact that differing opinions aren't shared and certainly aren't shared on the stage or in a session, right? And, and listen, it's not just our industry, right? This is a society problem that's building but we've got to have conversations with people that don't share our same opinions and then look and go now how do we learn from that and and right now and adam and i did a bit of this at verma right now you've got to get it one by one right and say okay this person said this and this person said this where do you fall on this but ultimately that's the missing piece here right is differing opinions can help people to craft. And, and Conrad, I'll, I'll go back for a minute and, and even talk about our engagement. So we're looking at some expansion with you. But I, I think not many folks operate like you. Now, there are some. But remember, I came to you and said, all right, Conrad, here's what we need from you. And you said, yeah, no, perfect. Yeah, I can do all those things. Okay, but here's what I expect from you. I want things from you, but you go back and go, yeah, I, I'm not just poof, there it is. I'll do this side, but you have to help me and you keep this stuff in order. And then the two of us work together. And, and I think that part is gone where people just go, okay, yep. Next marketing check, right? Off the list. Accounting. Yep. Check. And, and what we really need is someone to say, okay, no, I'm doing my part, but do you have the other 17 things covered? Because I really need five of those really covered or else my efforts aren't going to pay off or aren't going to be maximum effective. And, and and I think that's two big missing components. The differing opinions, we we have pushed it down. And listen, 
we've, we've seen a lot of personal attacks. I'm not talking about a personal attack, right? Having a different opinion doesn't equal a personal attack. Now, we've seen people that are straight out personal attack with their differing opinion, which, it, which is a, a shame because I think we need to hear the differing opinion if we can just take the bullshit out of it and just, here's my opinion, here's why. And I think there's opportunity to learn and get better. What I was going to ask, Scott, is that, do you think part of the problem is that there's no school for this, right? Like That's you guys true. went to that restaurant or, or like the hospitality conference, but it was mostly restaurant tours. And you could argue there's no school for that either, but it's like a little bit more established of an industry. You go work for a notable chef or a notable restaurant and get your you know footing, et cetera, for a few years. What company, like if, if in five years, Adam, or ten, whatever, seven years when your son's out of college or something like that, if you were going to send him to the vacation rental company to learn from, I don't know, like, where would you send him? There's no school. There's no thing. You just have to figure it out along the way. Everyone ends up in this thing accidentally, right? There's no yeah. MBA towards it. It's a little bit school of hard knocks. And that's why I say yeah. I tried to walk in the same shoes as, as all the people prior to me. I, I tried to do that and everything, but definitely in this industry, because I don't think you could do it. You You wouldn't know how to operate in this industry if you hadn't tried to clean or tried to do your books or tried to do marketing or tried to do guest services. If you've only got one view of what this industry is, then you lack all of the exposure to those other variables that are going to impact whatever your one variable is. To your point, no, I don't think that there is one good place to learn. I know that people have tried to do it. Personally, I think that's what Verma should be. I think that if we go to those conferences, we should be teaching the fundamentals, or at least there should be a track of, hey, you're new to this. This is what you should think. Now, taking a step back, I don't know that people want to go and learn that, right? I think that you've got a, a very strong segment of this industry. I'd probably even argue a, a vast majority that don't want to learn from the people that have come before them, that, that feel like they know better because they've done it for two years or whatever it is, and it's super easy and it's going to continue to be easy. And as Scott said at the beginning, one of the, the biggest takeaways that I would say all three of us had, because we had this discussion down there, is this is hard. This is a very hard business. This is a very hard industry. Anyone who's sitting on the sidelines saying that this is easy and it's going to continue to be easy and we're going to continue to see reservations and new homes and home sales, that's just not reality. It's not reality from a cycles perspective. It's not reality from the history of this industry. It just doesn't make sense to continue to plan that way. But I feel like the vast majority of this industry, including the vast majority of that vendor hall is continuing to plan that way. And we're coming to the end of a challenging year. And I believe that the next year is going to be that much more challenging. So if we don't take the time to listen to these differing opinions, and again, not pessimistic, not the sky is falling. These are opportunities. If you have these discussions, if you think through the fundamentals, if you start to learn about how other people are doing things, then we can adjust our businesses, we can adjust our industry, we can start to find new opportunities. But if all we say is everything has worked this way, so we're just going to keep doing it because it's got to work, then we're going to miss opportunities. And even more importantly, and this is, I think, where Scott and I are trying to head, there are going to be people who see those opportunities and go get them. And everyone who else was planning on the other path is going to be left behind. So hopefully that's what we're doing. Now, we're trying to build this in the open and have these discussions so other people can see the direction that we see but we're not waiting for these discussions. Scott and I are, are headed in those other directions because we see the opportunities and, and hopefully we get there in time because the other part of this is you can't time cycles. You can't figure out when these things are happening and when they're not. I might be talking about this stuff now and maybe it takes 
12 months for all of this to unfold. Or maybe I'm wrong in a number of areas. We can't predict the future, but what we can do is look at the variables around us and try to plan for what we think is the, the most realistic outcome. And hopefully that's what we're doing with these discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. All right. So let, let's just hit this up, the three of us. We're starting our vacation rental university, right? We're, so we're putting the program together. Okay. What's the one most important class someone has to take just to get started? So our prerequisite to getting on into our university, what is it? Hospitality. Yeah, the right. art of the basics of hospitality. I think it's yeah. I think it's sending them to uh Fairview Inn and it's sending them to a Motel 8 and it's sending them to a Four Seasons and an Amon. It's sending them to four different like budget, mid-range, high mid-range and luxury and it's being like, "All right, three days at each of them, two days at each of them, whatever. What'd you learn about each each company, each brand, each hospitality thing on the hotel side? And then maybe we run through that same thing and it's the lowest rated Airbnb host in whatever city. And then it's the 4.75 host and then it's the five-star host. And right. then we go, all right, what'd you learn? So we send them on, I don't know how many, how many that is, seven stays, two weeks. They go through, they stay at these all these different places, both in the hotel, traditional leisure side lodging. And then we send them down three different Airbnb host path and we see what they learn from that. And we make them bring back a notebook of notes. So that's my first class is experiential, experiencing the hospitality from their perspective. I don't know what your view, Adam, would be. I I think that's amazing. Now, the only shift I would make is probably to shift them to the vacation, professional vacation rental managers, ones that I feel have top ratings and, and ones that I feel have lower ratings. I think that from our perspective, because the audience we talk to tends to be more of the professional managers, I do think there's a lot of value in in experiencing professional management versus Airbnb. And I, I think this goes to a bigger discussion that we need to have. And Alex talked about this, the difference between STR and VRM. I truly believe that Alex's definition is, is spot on and, and we owe some more discussion and maybe a blog post around this. But the reality of a vacation rental is it's not just the home. It's the overall vacation. Right. This industry does not treat it like that. But if you go back and you think about hospitality that you just explained, Conrad, that's what that is. If you go into that four season, that experience is much different than when you show up at the Motel 8, right? It's the experience, not necessarily the room that you go to, even though that's part of the experience. The STR, on the other hand, is that Motel 8 where you're trying to churn and you're just making the maximizing whatever that asset is. And I think those are two totally different concepts. So I do think that there is value in splitting that learning process. But I absolutely love this question. And I love that you nailed it so well, Conrad. Off the top of your head to think like that is, is awesome. And I agree with it. I think that's actually what we need to do. But the scariest part is that I don't think anyone has even come close to that. I'm not even close to that having spent this much time. Yes, I've stayed at those different levels, but not from a thoughtful perspective other than anecdotally seeing what they do around me. But my gosh, what an awesome opportunity it would be to go to upper end, middle, lower for both hotels and vacation rental managers, and then take a class out. That's a great example. I was going to say guest persona. That's the first thing that went to my mind because my mind is marketing focused. But then I was like, that's that would maybe be the second thing. Okay, now that you've experienced all these things, what speaks to you? What type of guest do you want to host? And to be honest with you, Adam, some people I've met are really good at that short-term rental game. They're really good at it. They know their cleans. They have everything operationalized. They're good at process. They're good at acquiring properties. They can see, okay, I can upgrade the interior of this property and make it look a lot nicer. I can take a property that an average operator would get 175 and I could get it to 250 through my design skills and through my marketing and photography 
scales. So that's fantastic. That's just, but to your point, Adam, that's a different segment almost of the market. That's actually it's not wrong or right. It's just different. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great model. If you if that's yeah. the model that you choose, I think it's fantastic. I just haven't been exposed to it that much. I love that we figured out what the difference is in the model through our discussions. I don't think the industry knows that difference. I don't think anyone's talking about those differences. I don't even necessarily think that SDR managers have thought about what those differences are. We, we're still lumping ourselves together. So I do think there's a strong difference, but I think that there's a valid difference. I think that you think about those things differently. You think about those businesses differently. And then ultimately to your point, Conrad, you think about that hospitality differently. Now, right. as you once you figure out hospitality, and I think there's... You, it's hospitality on both sides, but it's just managed differently. Then I think you're right, Conrad. You got to step it back to marketing because that's going to be the next part. And then I think you step it back further to operations. But every step back gets more and more complicated. To Scott's point and, and why I, I would guess he asked his question is hospitality is the beginning for a reason. It's the one universal that covers everything. Mm. Because it informs what you should do operationally once you understand the type of guests that you might host. If you want to, if you have that Four Seasons or Amon experience and you're like, this is me. I, I will give everything I have in this to give this type of experience, even if it is like a, a three bedroom, four bath home in the Outer Banks. I'm going to do my best to make it mimic that experience to the best of my ability. Or you're going to set up your company, I think, a little bit differently too. You're going to have more reservations teams. You're going to have someone maybe boots on the ground who's going to go by and be a little bit more available and, and stopping by. If you're the, no, I'm going to take this property. I'm going to deliver a great experience from, I'm going to live in, you know, San Francisco. My properties are in whatever, Denver or Pittsburgh or something like that, then you're going to set up your company a lot differently too. So I think it's even from the initial construction of what you're doing to where you end up. It's like, it's a little bit of a different conversation there too. What do you think though, Scott? I, I skipped over you. You asked the question, what do you think? Is that right? Or is there- Yeah, it, it, that's exactly where I was going. I think it shapes everything. I think it shapes what you want to be when you grow up. And ultimately you would come out, right? You would take this prerequisite into our new fake university. And then we would go, okay, yeah. So you're on this track. And it's funny. And I think this is the what Amy refers to when she talks about tracks, right? Listen, it's okay. You want to go do that track? Perfect. Here's what that means. And here's what it is. But I would bet right now, since certainly since 2019, the 2019ers, 80% of them came in as Excel gurus. Their way in was to, through an Excel spreadsheet. But I think that that has a life cycle and every decision they make hurts their spreadsheet a little further and, and they don't have a product. They don't have a brand. What we're talking about is start with the product, figure out your brand and, and then move forward. We, I think we have too many people with spreadsheets. Yeah, sorry. I think Steve Jobs would hate the spreadsheet people because like Steve Jobs was like this product obsessed person, right? And he built Apple yeah. into this company where it's it's all about the product. And that's like literally the only thing he cares about, right? Oh, you can't see your kids? Forget about you. I don't care about that. We're going to we're gonna sit here until the software works perfectly. And then you're only then are you allowed to go home. And so I've slept here three days, Mr. Jobs. I give an extreme example, of course, but I think the the lot, like who's the Steve Jobs of the vocational industry? I could be wrong, but I don't think one exists. Maybe it's Chesky. That's like the closest that you could come to it with his vision. But does the experience of Airbnb, like just in that platform match what Chesky actually thinks it is. Some of the time, yes. A lot of the times, no. And that's where all these conflicts occur, right? Because the host isn't as idealistic and as optimal in their delivery of the service as Brian Chesky wants them to be. And then that's where all these problems and, and issues occur. But yeah. I know we're over time here, guys. So we can put a bow on this one, Adam, unless there's anything else you want to tie in here. I'm sorry we went a bit over, but... No, I, I think this was fun. It's always nice to chat with you guys. I, I think that we're in sort of a transition phase from one cycle to the next. Name it what you want to name it. But I, I think that we're in a place where the decisions are going to be really crucial. Figure out who the right partners are. Figure out what your scheme is. Figure out who the right coach is. 
make sure you you share up everything that you've got going because I think that we turn this corner into 2024 and I, I think you've got to make sure that your plans are right, your partners are right, your tech stack is right. You will not have time to recover any of those pieces in 24 if you don't have it right by the end of December. Yeah. Scott, anything else or should we give your voice a rest for today? I we think, appreciate I you sticking with us. Yeah, <laughs> Adam hit it. It, it. It's the right time and, and it's not about fire. It, it's about opportunity right now. Right on. Awesome. Thank you, Scott and Adam. We appreciate uh, the time that we had today to record and recapping the event. I had a good time. I see, Adam, your criticism is always valid, but uh, it was a good time to be down there in Orlando. I think it's in Arizona next year, Scott. So uh, pack your chapstick. Those of us that live near the coast, we're not used to it. We got to hit the chapstick when we head out to the desert. I don't know if you're like that as well, but um, all good. We appreciate If you made it this far, then you must have got some value out of the episode. So we really appreciate reviews. That helps us out a ton. If you go to your podcast app of choice, click five stars, only five stars. That helps more people listen to the show and hear our takes on what's going on in the space. So we thank you and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Art of Hospitality.